Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you for joining this ACB Diabetics in Action call. Established in 2005, ACBDA is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Our primary mission is to educate and support individuals living with diabetes and vision loss, parents and caregivers. If you would like more information about ACBDA, please send an email to acbdaorg at gmail.com. Our website is www.acbda.org. If you'd like to become a member, dues are $10 annually. Visit our membership page and website at www.acbda.org. Please keep in mind that we are not medical professionals and that this call is strictly for informational purposes and is based on our members' and friends' personal experiences. You should consult with your medical team before making any changes to your diabetes care regime. Again, thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone. My name is Roberta McCall, and I'm here on behalf of the American Council of the Blind Diabetics and Action Education Committee. And today is August 9th, 2023, and we are here to learn more about stress. Luckily, we're learning about it and not experiencing more of it, hopefully. Um, our guest speaker tonight is Dr. Michael Fulop who is a practicing clinical psychologist with more than 30 years of experience working with people who have diabetes and dealing with stress. So after 30 years, hopefully he's got an idea what to do about stress. Uh, I'll look, well, have at it, Michael. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, hi, I'm Mike Fulop and um, uh, we're going to uh, hopefully proceed through here and I'll uh, learn, you'll learn something from me. I'm sure I'll learn something from all of you. I already have. And uh, I would like to back up a little bit and just uh, thank the members of the committee uh, that have been so gracious to sort of invite me here to talk about uh, really diabetes distress. Um, and uh, I'd also thank each of you in the audience. And if you have questions, we're going to have you hold them for a little bit, but if they're, uh, they're, um, feel like they're very, very urgent, raise your hand and we'll notice you and sort of we'll ask. So, uh, and, and one thing, before I completely jump in, I want to warn you that one of the things that psychologists do is ask other people to think about and or um, uh, uh, talk about their experiences or think about their experiences um, and, and so I'm going to warn you that that will probably happen here. Uh, and I may ask even some people that to uh, tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that you've had, because uh, um, I think that's going to make things a little bit better, but maybe not. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today is something called diabetes distress. And um, some of the unique stressors and the distress that comes with diabetes itself, uh, all types, both type one and type two. And by the way, uh, I'm assuming most everyone here is a, a diabetic in action, either type one or type two. And, and I 
normally would probably ask you how many years you've been diabetic. Um, and we count that up. And, and I can imagine that it's going to be probably well over uh, uh, if, if an average of uh, 10, it's going to be well over 160 or 200, however many we have here. So I suspect it's probably more than that. I personally have had type 1 diabetes since uh, for about 30 years or 30 years plus. Um, and the motto always is uh, live well. <laughs> so we're going to talk about unique stressors that come with diabetes and distress. We're going to talk about a tool, uh, how it may harm us uh, more could harm our bodies, but really we're talking about some psychological harm that then increases the probability of, of having us uh, have our own harm from diabetes and other complications. So, And then what are we going to do? What can we do to mitigate or to um, uh, remove any negative impacts that diabetes distress has on us? Um, and my, my theme, really, I want to tell you my theme right from the beginning, setting aside kind of self-critical attitudes and behaviors and being able to practice a little bit more self-compassion for your diabetes self. So that said, let's jump in. And what be, I, I, I had warned you already, what I'd like you to do is take a minute and I'd like you to think about, and I'm not going to ask you too much about this yet, but I'd like you to think about something that you could identify that you do well already in taking care of your diabetes. I'm going to give you 30 seconds or so to just think that. Normally, I'd have you write it down, but probably not a whole lot of reason to write it down. Um, and hold those in mind. What is it that you do well in taking care of your diabetes? Um, one of the important reasons I ask this is because it's not a question that most medical providers ask. Um, it's not a question that most diabetes educators ask. Um, and it is uh, something that uh, we almost get, uh, we, we forget about because often when we're talking about diabetes, people focus on numbers or people focus on hemoglobin A1C or time and range or complications, things like that, but they don't really focus on things that are going well or things that you've done well or things that you've tried to do well in many ways. So, so hopefully some of you have thought about some of the stuff that you do well and keep that in mind because we're gonna come back to it. So what are the unique stressors that are, um, associated with diabetes, either type one or type two. And this is really all from the work of a, uh, uh, a tool called the diabetes distress scale and a whole approach about dealing with something called diabetes distress. It's a little different than just pure stress. A pure stress can come from anything uh, both positive or negative. For example, if you went skydiving, that would be pretty stressful, but it would also be exhilarating. And so be, uh, net effect might be positive. Um, negative stress, what we call daily hassles build up. Um, uh, and um, there's also big stresses. You get divorced, uh, someone dies, uh, your kids are not being uh, perfect little angels the way they always are. 
all of these are stressors, but there's some unique stressors that we in diabetes have, uh, and it's been well studied at this point. And um, so the the sources of, uh, these are kind of what we call sources of diabetes distress. And they're, they are unique. Uh, and they're, as I said, they're a sc- from a scale called the diabetes distress scale, which I'm going to, uh, when we get done, I'm going to ask you to uh, uh, go to the website and take the test at some point because it will help, but I'm not, I'm jumping ahead here. So one of the sources of stress that we found uh, with most people that have diabetes, whether type one or type two, there's actually two different measures for people that are type one or type two. Um, and everybody, there, there's a sense in this of feeling powerless. The idea of no matter how hard I try, it's not going to be good enough. It isn't good enough. My hemoglobin's not low enough. My daily blood sugar is not good enough. Um, I feel crappy when my blood sugar is high or low. Um, and that that is actually pretty common. Uh, a lot of parent, a lot of parents, excuse me, a lot of people with diabetes, both type one and type two. This is a common experience for people. So it's uh, if you are feeling that you never feel this, that then you're probably about one, about 16% of the pop, diabetic population that don't feel this. 84% of, of people with, um, with diabetes of some kind usually feel a sense of powerless at times. Another source of stress uh, that is called management or uh, demand distress. So that the, the management of the actual uh, regimen you have to do um, and that you're kind of disappointed in the way you're taking care of it. Uh, Someone might say, I feel I don't give my diabetes as much attention as I should. Um, I may not count carbs perfectly. I may not um, exercise as much as I need to. I may not talk with my doctor and tell him I'm feeling crappy. Uh, I may get depressed at times. Uh, and, And all of these have to do with a relatively difficult demand. I mean, uh, the diabetes in, uh, uh, in in the least sense makes you think about uh, two things that are kind of difficult, uh, diet and exercise. These are not simple tasks. You can ask anybody in America um, uh, whether or not they've mastered that, and most people would say no. So uh, and then if you add type, actually with also with the type 2, you would add medication management, or sometimes people take insulin now too with type two. So the regimen is not simple. It's one of the most difficult medical regimens there is because you're doing it all yourself, which I know you all know. Uh, For type ones as well, it's a little bit uh, more complex at times because you have a little bit more uh, equipment at at often, and um, you also have... um, some extra things that you might have to do, taking glucagon or something like that. Um, although some people with type two do too. A third source of stress is this thing called hypoglycemia, hy- hyperglycemia. Excuse me, hypoglycemia distress or low blood sugars. Uh, particularly with our medications and our insulins these days, um, there is at times risk of going low. Um, now you may have it dialed in perfectly, and you never have this fear, but. Uh, I've done 
uh, one of my roles is to be a group interventionist for uh, a national study for people that have got type 1 diabetes. Uh, and a lot of people feel very afraid of going low. And as a result, they then try to keep themselves uh, higher and, and not ever go low because they've had serious lows in the past. Uh, I have a good friend who's type 1, great control, uh, good guy. He's a very athletic. He's significantly younger than I am. Um, but he was walking through a airport one day and he next thing you remember, he's, he's in an ambulance because of a severe low, which he didn't uh, he didn't remember having in some way. So uh, some people get very, very distressed about that. Um, and why shouldn't they? Uh, another source of stress is what I would call negative social perception. And they worry about other people's negative judgments about having diabetes. And some people feel like many of the patients I've worked with, they have to hide. They don't want to tell any other people about their diabetes. They think other people will think less of them if they have diabetes, as if it's their, uh, as if they signed up for it. It's like a trip, you know. No one, no one's ever signed up for a trip to go on diabetes, as far as I can tell. Um, um, and this, there's a lot of stigma, as all, you all probably know, and probably have had many experiences like that. Um, I'll tell you a couple of I've had are are fascinating. Uh, I worked one of the women I worked with from Baltimore in the in a, the group told me that uh, she was feeling kind of low, very low in her blood sugar, and walked into a convenience store and had some junky kind of food to try and get her blood sugar up quickly. And she said that the the, um, the clerk saw her pump uh, uh, tube coming out and said, I'm not going to sell this stuff to you. So th that is a massive amount of stigma that someone that is suddenly believing them, they can tell you what to do about your condition it's it's remarkable. So there are some reasons that people have found to hide in some ways. So uh, another source of distress is called friend and family distress. And some people call this the diabetes police. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but um, the um, uh, often people tell me that they feel like their friends or their family make much too big of it out of their diabetes, and when they have a high or a low, they um, get uh, either too worried or too uh, shaming or too blaming. Uh, you can also in this field the stress that just that people don't understand you or people don't understand what it is that uh, is the, um, the daily life of someone with diabetes. Um, the, there's another source of stress from potentially from your uh, physician and or your diabetes healthcare team and or the other number of uh, uh, providers that you may see. Uh, the um, You may feel like your doctor or your healthcare team doesn't either uh, take time to understand you or they think, think that taking care of diabetes is simple uh, or they try to shame you into uh, doing something that uh, they, they are proclaiming to you that it should be easy to do. Uh, 
But you basically feel like you don't get the support and you don't get the understanding from, from the diabetes uh, uh, team that you work with. Uh, it's a little more difficult at times, by the way, if you're in a small town somewhere and uh, you don't have access to other professionals to, um, to, to move to if you decided to do that. Um, there's a couple more um, where the, the researchers found that often people with type 1 or type 2 feel an eating distress, a sense of, I'm worried that my eating is out of control. Uh, I feel like food and eating control me all the time. I have to count everything. I have to not eat things. I have to do eat things. And then I fall off the wagon. I feel horrible about that. Some people feel like their eating is just causes a great deal of distress. And the last one is um, it's a combined one. Really, it's the idea of long-term uh, access to health care and short-term access to um supplies, whether it's insulin, whether it's medication, whether it's pump supplies, whether it's patches, whether it's eye care. Um, the, the worry here is medical supplies, insurance uh, may not continue to cover me. Um, so those are the seven or eight areas that we can measure. And the reason we do measure them is because it then helps us uh, figure out what do we try to, uh, what, what should we try to change? Often people ask me, you know, why why do you need a psychologist with um, uh, diabetes? And of course, the answer is it's at all times both a physical and at all times a uh, mind or or uh, uh, mental kind of disorder that you have to deal with. The, one other source of stress, which is not part of our uh, of the scale I've been talking about, but it's in in my experience something that's quite uh, difficult and confusing at times. And I, I thinking of a 15 year old girl that I was working with and her mom who was a very, very uh, pushy in trying to get her to take care of her diabetes. And she had said that her, her mom doesn't understand her much. And the mom had told me, I was working with both of them had told me that um, the girl just doesn't listen to her. She, uh, won't do anything she says. She's kind of resistive. Uh, well, the girl, when I asked her in front of her mom at one point in, in a kindly way, what is the, what's the thing that's most annoying to you about diabetes? And she kind of slowly turned her gaze towards her mom and said to me, ignorance. And I think for me, that's a, a, not that I've not only, I've heard it from her, but I've heard it from other people as well. Uh, there is a lot of ignorance out there about diabetes. And um, I will give you one more personal story where at my old office, we used to have a deli that was uh, right across from my office. And I had just come in from a workout. It was at lunchtime. And there was a woman in my office that, uh, in my office suite, excuse me, that had, uh, that was, a dental hygienist in the dental practice upstairs. And she knew me and she knew that I knew some things about diabetes. And she had a son that was type two, had been just diagnosed with type two. So she spent some time talking to me about it. And one day I was standing there in line and my blood sugar was actually plunging because I'd worked out a little bit too hard. 
uh, and I'm literally shaking and I'm in line and I grab some hard candy and I started to literally put it into my mouth. This woman turned around and literally hit my hand and said, you can't have that. And I'm not sure if anyone else has had experiences like that, but I suspect you have. So, um, okay. So how are these stressors, the areas that we have, how are they harmful for us in our minds and our bodies, really? Um, let me say that it's pretty well, it's commonly known that taking care of diabetes it's certainly not the uh, most exciting thing to do. Uh, plunging something that's um, metal into your fingers every day is, is not fun. Uh, finding pump supplies, uh, paying massive amounts of money for insulin at times, none of these are fun. And there's always a lot of ongoing demands that one has. And, and of course, the demand that there's it's 24-7, it never turns off, is another demand in and of itself. So we have a way to measure diabetes distress. We're going back to this concept. And it turns out that the higher diabetes distress you have, it, it leads to problems in um, uh, medication adherence, blood glucose control, uh, sometimes diet, exercise, all the areas that you need to be working on and need to be working on. You get to choose to work on and it, it can impact your quality of life. So, that's why that's important is that we think as, as psychologists and we know that paying attention to your your uh, feelings about diabetes is important. As I said before, diabetes distress is pretty common. About 40% of adults show some significant distress and about 50% anytime during one year, a year period, are having some significant distress. And it may come in waves. But the good, I mean, it's not really good news, but most people that have uh, uh, type 1 and or type 2 diabetes feel a strong sense of distress at times. Uh, and that's even in the face of the fact that things are getting better and we are, uh, uh, the tools that we have now and the technology and uh, the understanding is helping people live longer, basically living long and healthy lives uh, in a way that they want and not in some kind of completely unstructured way or structured way. So if you do feel distress, you're amongst a good company. And so what we like to say is that how you feel about your diabetes, how you think about your diabetes is just as important as any of your numbers. Uh, I know that all of you have sort of been hammered at times with um, getting your hemoglobin down. Uh, but the reality is uh, how you feel and think about it is almost is just as important as, as doing that. So as I uh, talked about diabetes distress, there are some times that you feel a little bit more or less diabetes distress, uh, although some people have it and it doesn't really go away. Uh, it can occur anytime, but it usually is a, it, it, uh, a little bit higher for some people when you're first diagnosed, when you have other stressors that are high, as I mentioned, divorce, kids, um, job, uh, heat, uh, uh, maybe when you're someone's thinking about uh, screening you for a new complication. If you're changing your diabetes health 
routine, if someone's changing you to a certain new kind of insulin or a new kind of pill um, or giving you a new meter, all those in some ways can be stressful and distressing. If you change, if your healthcare team changes, uh, my longtime endocrinologist, I think, is about to retire, and I'm getting kind of worried about that already. So I'm going to pause briefly and ask if there's any uh, outstanding questions at this point, or if, as, as I said earlier, if it's so clear that there's no questions at all. I'm not seeing any raised hands at the moment, Michael. Okay. I will plunge on then. Um, so next part, what do we do? What are the things that we can do to mitigate this distress? And I know I'm really sort of talking at about a 35,000 foot level. Um, uh, what do we do to mitigate this distress? And so that we have a lot less negative impact on us. Um, there's a couple of things you can do. And I'm going to, I'm going to suggest uh, two or three today. One of them is, as I mentioned, the diabetes distress scale. I'll send out the link and you can actually take it. It, it will help scale how much distress you feel in one area and whether you have a global sense of distress as well. The reason we do that is it, it can show you how much distress you have in, in an area or a globally. And then once you identify them, you can go, you can uh, target uh, that area for uh, further action. So, so in other words, if you had a um, a spouse that was, uh, for lack of a better word, nagging you every day about your blood sugar um, being too high, which they are seeing on your um, uh, your Dexcom um, share app, and it 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 bothers you that they're assuming that you're not trying to get it down that might be something that would be distressing, um, but it would be something you could also target and say, uh, be, uh, begin to talk with your spouse that in a non-harsh um, way, as opposed to blowing up and, and screaming at them. So, and, and by the way, those are sort of uh, patients that I see that are, uh, those things kind of happen. So the, the other two things that I'm going to talk about are what to do besides fig figuring out what your diabetes distress is. Uh, one is in the general realm of uh, knocking down self-criticism and being able to be a lot more self-compassionate. Um, you all may know how to be much more self-compassionate than most people. I don't know. I can't tell that for sure. Um, but the idea of self-criticism is it, it, some of the phrases you would hear in America are things like no pain, no gain. This idea that you have to go really hard all the time and or you're not going to, you know, you're going to be sort of a loser or something like that. Well, this is that we all have kind of a um, an internal voice and a lot of people's internal voices are um pretty self-critical. And, and these are from both the groups that I've run and from talking to people individually in my practice. They'll say things like, if I go high or low, it means I did something wrong. Uh, I've got diabetes. I've had it for 20 years. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, I should have gotten it by now. I keep screwing up. 
Um, I simply can't figure it out. And here's the one that I've heard from almost every person in the groups that I did. I'm a bad diabetic, as if there's a good diabetic in some ways. Um, but um, the self-criticism is an internal voice. And why do we have this self-criticism? Well, we get messages from uh, ourselves. We should do better. We want to do better. We also get messages from healthcare providers. We get messages from family and friends that don't understand uh, what it means to have a high blood sugar or a, uh, your, your sense of warning you that your blood sugar is a little high. And then for some reason, uh, there's a shame involved in this, but people feel like they should be doing better. And they think that other people are doing a lot better. When the fact is, uh, in our groups, most people were doing much better than they thought, but they were isolated. And so they had this self-critical voice that just kept hammering them. Now, why is being less self-critical important? Again, getting rid of the distress. It significantly rate, relates to um, if you have a higher rate of self-critical attitudes and actions to yourself, you're going to have a higher hemoglobin over time. You're going to have worse self-management. You're going to have worse quality of life. Having self-compassion actually reduces, is one of the main things that reduces the effects of this distress. And so being self-critical has pretty big negative consequences. Uh, and if we can get people to change the voice in their head, to change their story, uh, then they usually do better overall. Um, and let me diverge here for a second and give you a, um, uh, an overview of a study that was done many years ago. And there were some researchers that believed that type 1 diabetes in children and adolescents was due to the, there was a family problem. And it wasn't the diabetes was going out of control. It was a family issue. And the child or the, the adolescent was acting as if um, uh, a, a kind of a magnet for the problems. And because that child had those, had, would take on the problems and their blood sugar would go out of control. And some researchers believed that it was functioning as a homeostatic state for the for the um, uh, the family. So the family kind of needed this person to be in, in distress. And some of you may have heard this before. Well, it turned out that this research was horribly flawed and it didn't have anything to do with adolescents uh, and the family being out of control. What it had to do is adolescents have a lot more hormonal rages than most people. And because of the hormonal ranges, uh, ranges their um, their high and low blood sugars excursions were more frequent. And rather than blaming them and shaming them and saying, this is your fault or this is the family's fault, we have to help people understand uh, and get them better tools to take care of diabetes and not think about it in a um, psychologically damaging way. Um, so uh, I'm going to actually pause there again and ask any other, any questions. I know I'm rocketing through this. I'm still not seeing any raised okay. hand. So what I'd like you to do, uh, I, I'd like you to uh, to introduce you to the concept of self-compassion. Some of you may know it and you may know it well, but there's a nice literature about it at this point. 
Um, the uh, I want to back up and say one thing that those people that have more self-criticism about themselves and about their diabetes care um, uh, have a lot more feelings of powerlessness. No matter how hard I try, I'll never be good enough. Uh, a lot of people with type 1 and some people with type 2 um, have that. And the other one is I'll develop long-term complications no matter how well I take care of myself. Perfect. So self-compassion is a counter to these kind of thoughts. So self, I'm going to describe self-compassion. Um, self-compassion is treating oneself with kindness in the face of negative events and to be non-judgmental with yourself uh, and mindful of your own personal flaws. People tend, when they're struggling, to kind of become very harsh with themselves. And self-compassion focuses on being self-understanding rather than self-critical and not see those negative emotions as anything other than what they are, which is um, they're essentially uh, thoughts. And so low self-compassion equals more self-blame. So we want to try to get people to be more self-compassionate. So I'd like to um, take you on a very brief journey of self-compassion um, or exploring self-compassion now. Um, and what I'd like you to do is you can um, sit, uh, obviously you're sitting or standing or whatever you're doing. I'd just like you to um, get in quite of a, a little bit of a quiet space. We're not going to do any mindfulness here, but I want you to, we're going to do a little bit of a thought experiment. And uh, what I want you to do is think about a friend of yours, a good friend that uh, when this good close friend of yours felt bad and down, maybe about him or herself, and they were really struggling a lot. What I'd like you to do now is think about how would you respond to that friend in that situation? They're feeling terrible. What about, what would you typically do? What might you say? What might you, um, what approach would you take with them? What kind of tone of voice would you use? Um, and I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. Hey, Michael, we have a raised hand. Oh, good. Hey, Tom, you can unmute. Hi, Michael. Thank you for Hi. your great presentation. Very much. Thanks, Allison. Very much interested in what you're having to say here. And I remember when I was younger, I've been a type one since 1973. So if my math is right, it's about 50 years. And um, when I was younger, I was so... Well, let's just say it this way. When I was younger, we didn't have the tools. <laughs> we didn't yeah. have we didn't have home blood glucose monitoring until I was a sophomore in college, and I still didn't use it because I was rebellious. But anyway, when I finally got into it, I was so I get so angry with myself. Oh, your blood sugar is not where it's supposed to be. You idiot! You're failing this. You're failing that. Yep. And there you go. very self critical. And of course, as you know, because you know this stuff in and out. It did me absolutely no good, except probably exacerbate the fact that my blood sugar was high or whatever it was. So 
Um, to your yep. question about what I would say to my best friend who was going through this would be to say, what I now say to myself, it's like, okay, you had one bad blood sugar. You know, you've got, you're having one bad day, my friend, you know, life is a long journey. Uh, take it in stride and uh, yeah. give yourself, you know, cut yourself some slack. And yeah. I've learned over the years to say, you know what, as angry as I get, it's like, I just, I've got to cut myself some slack. Cause I know at the end of the day, I'm not doing myself any good to be so, as you say, self-critical. And I, what I wanted to say to you was like, part of me is like, I'm self-critical to the point where I'm like, because I want to make sure I keep my diabetes in the best control that I, that I can. And I am right now. I mean, my A1C is 6.1 and my time and range is 80%, but um, we have to remind ourselves to cut ourselves some slack when we're having a bad day. And you are reading my mail. So <laughs> that, that is, I will that, shut up now. And, but and no, you. no, that's good though. That's the, <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what we normally find. And um, the, uh, you were self-critical and, and as if you, you had complete control of those numbers, you were getting angry at yourself. But when you were talking to your friend, if there was a friend, you would be saying in a, and it sounds like a tone of self, of compassion, of taking care of him. So Absolutely. let's do part, the, the second part of this. Now, imagine a time you've already done that, but I would like other people to think about this here. Think about a time when you felt bad or down and, and you're struggling. How do you typically respond to yourself in these situations? What do you typically do? What do you typically say? What tone do you take with yourself in these situations? Said, so have you think about that for a minute? Do you all become self-critical like Thomas used to and never does anymore? Um, so I'd like to hear, uh, well, if anyone else wants to say, uh, what differences do you notice in how you talk to yourself versus this friend? Gary has his hand raised. Yep, I, I do. <laughs> I think sometimes getting older helps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so many times I'm thinking, my God, I'm glad I'm not young anymore for a variety of reasons. Now there's some negatives to that too. But, but overall, the life experience that I've had has taught me that there are some things that you have control over and there are some things that you have to deal with, yep. but you got to look at the whole picture, the whole picture, ah, the boy. big, big picture. And sometimes that's not pleasant. But if you start saying, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot, I can't handle this, I got to fix this, it's not going to get fixed. Um, and my blood sugar when I first started, I think my A1C was 7.9. It's been down in the sixes. I think probably now it's it's mid sixes, but I'm getting older. Uh, and sometimes doctors are saying, because you're getting older, we don't want that blood sugar to drop down to bad levels. So we're going to cut you a little slack and we'll, we'll let it go up a little bit. We don't want you to go to eight and nine, obviously. But one of the things that, that I know is that I take a look at the, my big picture in terms of the things I need to do, but I try not to stress out. It doesn't me, do me any good. Okay. And, and uh, how do you get yourself to look at the big picture? Like with Thomas, how do you get yourself to do that in that situation? 
I sit or re- just relax. Uh-huh. I calm down, try and get into a quiet space. There you go. Uh, and, and just relax. And, and I understand that it can't be done all at once, but it can be done. Right. Yeah. And the question we ask is, why not treat yourself like a good friend? Sure. And, and the, the second part of this has to do with exactly what you were saying, is that imagining yourself, this is what we call standing apart, uh, getting some perspective looking at things from a very different perspective. And I know in the heat of the battle, it's easy to do. It's it's not easy to do. If, if I'm standing up from my uh, living room and I've been eating dinner and I my pump has suddenly dropped off and I it, it gets stuck in the couch cushion or the chair cushion, I, I walk away and it jerks my, uh, jerks my uh, tummy off and feels like I probably am not the most self-compassionate. But if I can look at it from a larger perspective, as if I'm on a stage, as if I'm looking into somebody else's house, um, I can look at that big picture. And so you guys, uh, and I'm sure other people too, um, have understood how, you said it's getting older. I would probably say from my perspective, it's actually, uh, it it may be uh, getting older, but it's also thinking in a different way. Uh, from my perspective, stepping outside of those thoughts, thoughts are, we, we sometimes think that because we have a thought, it's important, but they're no more important than any other feeling or any other um, um, fleeting thought. They, the analogy a lot of people use is that they're kind of like leaves on a stream that they're flowing by. They're not really real. They, they become part of a story. Uh, and you said something which is interesting. I've heard a lot of people with diabetes say, I'm stupid at times. I feel stupid because I don't know my blood sugar is not in, in control all the time. Um, I love the idea of having anybody that doesn't have diabetes uh, take it over for a couple of days and see how much they enjoy it. So, um, uh, so the idea of looking at thoughts and feelings as a um, not necessarily uh, real, but as something that are there, try not to fight them. Uh, you don't have to respond to them. And, that, and that's the other thing that you said, Larry, is the idea I sit and calm and try to get the big picture. Uh, I couldn't say it any better. So, um, so two things I'd say then is take the diabetes distress scale. Uh, think about what you're doing well. It's a very, very disarming question. It's also a good thing to ask other people with diabetes. What are you doing well? Um, and then notice your self-critical thoughts and attempt to be a little bit more self-compassionate. And that's all I have, really. And I'm always completely self-compassionate all the time. So <clears throat> that's a joke. <laughs> So, thoughts, ideas, how how do you step back? How do you draw on your own resilience? That's really, I guess, another question I'd ask you. So, Michael, this is Tom again. Just mm-hmm. wanted to point out to our attendants that, you know, we're, we're a, you know, an organization of people who live with 
diabetes and vision loss. But one of the things that I love about this organization is that we have a listserv and a Facebook page that we have basically open communications and people can pose to those and they can ask questions and they can, they can also answer questions. And mm-hmm. um, that peer to peer support model to me, Michael is such an integral part of what I think is a great way to help us man any chronic disease, but in this case, diabetes and vision loss. And um, I'm very proud of what we've done. And um I I think it's helped people quite a bit, and uh, you know what you've I done. I would agree, yeah. And what yeah. you've done tonight is to, you know, help us <clears throat> enforce that fact that we are an organization that wants to help each other, and that's really really important. So I thank you for that tonight very much. And, and actually, I want to say one thing beyond that, um, not beyond, but to to amplify that. When I first met with the board, uh, I didn't know the name of the group, and uh, I loved the name. Um, diabetics in action uh-huh. in action in some ways that's a lot of ways to get perspective is to get active to get moving and and frankly one of the uh, uh, markers that tells us that people are going to do probably pretty well with their diabetes is if they reach out to other people and or they're in part of a diabetes community whether it's a jdrf whether it's ada whether it's a support group if they are are not always feeling isolated, and obviously this group, you all are way ahead of the uh, the game. I would say that this is a you know uh, you are as activated as any group, and the what I would say is asking other people that aren't in the group or that are thinking about being in the group, what are you doing well with diabetes? Is a way to kind of pull people. And ask them because they will. Um, it, it's almost a a. I would say resistance, and I'll give you one um, uh, example. I, I worked with a young woman who was about 22, 23, and I said, "What are you doing well with diabetes?" First time I saw her, and she said nothing. Oh. And I said, "Oh, well, okay. Tell me what." Uh, do you, how do you do with your eating? She said, I'm horrible. Well, I eat really well during the day, but then I eat at night. I binge at night. And this is what we call the werewolf syndrome, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, then she said, I said, do you exercise? She said, well, not anymore. Only five, about t- five times a week. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, how many times do you test your blood sugar? This is before sensors. And she said, uh, only 10 to 12. And so the first three things she told me, she said the 99th percentile for yeah. everybody else. And I said, uh, you take insulin. She said, I never miss insulin. So we have this perception of not doing well. And yet, objectively, she's doing everything you can. And I think it was one of you, Thomas or Larry, that said, some things you can change, some things you can't. Knowing the difference is really powerful. So. So, Allison, do we have any questions for Michael? We have no raised hands, but uh, we had a raised hand a minute ago, and it got lowered. Uh, I don't know if they lowered it or Zoom did, but Jenny, do you still want to? Yeah, there you go. You can unmute. Yes, um, just a very brief comment. Um, the whole the um, the the situation with being visually impaired and having diabetes 
is something that once I found this group and others, similar groups, turned everything around. Um, oh. I had been in a diabetes support group where everyone was sighted. And oh. I have to admit that I felt really alienated. Yeah. And um, the alienation, and then for some reason, I would, I'd still talk to some of my healthcare providers, um, and I'd say, well, how many blind patients have you ever had? And they may say one or two or three. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. some of the unique challenges we face, oh, yeah. um, I feel so much more empowered. And when I, even in San Diego, a huge metropolitan area, um, you know, I would ask people, gee, I'd love to meet um, a blind person on, you know, perhaps moving on to insulin or facing some challenges. How do they do it? And surprisingly enough, I wasn't able to find that many, but I kept persistently at it. And um, your technology definitely helps if you can get online or do go to the call. So I just wanted to say that um, it's still an ongoing thing. And um, I think, you know, being positive, my particular thing is uh, avoiding catastrophizing. According no to, gonna oh, yeah, me. avoiding catastrophe, absolutely. Yeah. And no, no one's going to help me. I'm not going to find anybody. Uh, you know, the, the healthcare practitioners will think that I'm incapable and I'll end up in a nursing home. Now, that's a, I don't even believe that one. But the point is that then no, I, then I thought, I sought out reassurance. I even had someone tell me, oh no, we'll come, if you ever want to go to insulin, maybe one South Vacuum shot, someone will come to your house and show you how to do it. And I seek out those reassurances. But, Without seeing other diabetics manage this, it's just, it was not, I wasn't doing so well. You know, recently my practitioner said, you have an A+. And I thought, okay, but I, I think I can do even better. So <laughs> that's all. It, it, it's a very alien, it can be a very alienating situation. That's all. I, I, that is uh, very insightful. And um, it's, it, it's double, triple, quadruple uh, alienating because, as you noticed, I didn't talk about anything about the the amplification of being blind and having diabetes because I don't know anything about it. And I, I try not to talk about stuff that I don't know about. But it's um, uh, you're the, the this is the first group of people that I've ever talked to that have had that have been uh, blind and or uh, visually uh, challenged and um, uh, and with diabetes, and and I've been doing this a long time, so it is uh, really a privilege and an honor to be able to talk to people. Uh, and a matter of fact, I've only had probably one patient. I work with a lot of children and adolescents, but I I have one patient that's legally blind because she uh, lost an eye when she was a three year old. But other than that, I've never had. Uh, I learned a whole lot from her because what she told me was. Anytime she'd go in to do tests with people, the optometrist, the op- ophthalmologist, she'd say, well, how are these tests normed for uh, people with one eye? And they'd say, uh, next, because they really know, <laughs> uh, which was hilarious to me. And I was doing reading testing with her. I was doing all sorts of testing. She said, you know, and so it really was fascinating to, to find out. But th- this is, uh, uh, it's just it, the layers of stuff that you have to deal with uh, it's it's uh, it it almost really calls for more resilience, and um, I I used to run marathons, and, and in those days, 
when I'd crossed the finish line, and run is probably too strong of a word, plod, uh, whenever I'd crossed the, the finish line, I would hold my pump and my sensor up. And what I was actually saying to myself was, okay, you guys all did this, but I did it with type 1 diabetes. So, um, And by the way, you're in San Diego, is that what you said? Yes, I've actually been to some of your your behavioral what is it? Dabat Diabetes Behavioral Institute. I took one of your yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'd love to be part of them, but I actually I'm I'm I um the the research I've been involved with is certainly heavily involved from Behavioral Diabetes mm -hmm. Institute, and that is a wonderful. That's the best organization in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that is uh, looking at type at di diabetes of all kinds, and they are the people that created the diabetes distress inventory. So. You that is uh, and plus Dexcom's there. A lot of diabetes companies there. Are you Tandem, Tandem's there. Yeah, yeah. So I would yeah, just yeah. say, Jenny, we're we're happy to have you part of the ACB Diabetics in Action family. We glad we're glad you found us, and yeah. uh, you know, and and Michael, anybody that uh, you might want to refer to us, we're here to help. Yeah, people it's and, made all the difference uh, because you know, there uh, countrywide there are lots of independent blind diabetics, but on my block, not so many. You know, yeah. it, casting that broad net of the internet has really changed everything for me. So that's, yeah. that's all. That's great to know. Thanks, Jenny. Any hands, hey. Allison? Yes, we have one hand. And before we take that one, I need to let you guys know we have about eight minutes left. And uh, so, Jane, you're up next. Oh, good evening. I wasn't going to speak, but when you said I'm going to don't know how you deal with it. This is Jane Perry, and I live on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm a type 2 diabetic, but I'm going to throw one more curve at you. I have a syndrome of my eye disease. It's mm. called Bardet-Beetle syndrome. You ever heard of it? Nope. Didn't think so. I have retinitis pigmentosa, and it affects every single system of my body. So when you say how you deal with it, some days I don't know, because I was also just diagnosed last month with fatty liver disease. I have everything wrong with me, but I try to be positive. And like Larry said, what he actually talked about was a serenity prayer. Mm. And I have mm. two sisters who are recovered alcoholics, so I understand that. That mm. you try to accept the things you can't change, and try to have the courage to change things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The one thing that has really helped me lately is I listen to powerful affirmations every day. Yeah. And I do my um, meditation. Mm -hmm. So I have found that helps me because I've had a lot of difficult days in the last couple of months because I am hopefully facing knee surgery. But because of my BMI, even though I've lost 90 pounds in the last year and a half, it's still a little high. And Medicare says, no way, Jose. But the doctor I have wants to do surgery. <clears throat> more about my kidneys than my weight. But anyhow... Thank you for this information and this stress information because you're right on about all those stressors. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, uh, I, there were many people in my group that um, had multiple, multiple uh, <coughs> issues, transplants and or uh, all, all sorts of stuff that was much more complex, much more difficult than, uh, and I want to say the run-of-the-mill person that had uh, diabetes. Uh, oh, I have 
stage four renal failure right now. And, yeah, uh, it's just changed uh, my lifestyle a hundred percent. So yeah. I'm going to be uh, I'm I'm not doomed, and I'm going to find a way to get my knee fixed so I can go on my cruise next year. <laughs> don't get me started about don't get me started about surgeons that won't do operations on you. I had two that have said you can't you have to have a hemoglobin below seven, and I came unglued with that one. Uh, don't yeah. get me started on that. My, I, I know. Thank you. For, and I'm a healthcare professional too. So I understand yeah. all about it. But yeah, anyhow, right. I, yeah. I am not giving up the, the ship here. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Dr. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all the raised hands at the moment. Great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great group. Um, I've, uh, I've been struggling recently. Our suite uh, in our building on July 9th had a major fire. So I've been trying to deal with getting our clinic and our practice up and uh, keep it going and deal with, uh, uh, I, I, I'm going to see my endocrinologist next week and tell him I've been doing a lot more stress eating. But <laughs> you're living Michael, but we thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes, Michael, this is Roberta. We want to thank you for being here. And um, I, I, for one, would love to have you come back. Um, I just, every time I've talked with you, I've always left feeling better about how I deal with my diabetes than when I started. So good. Well, we can talk about that. So well, definitely, sure. it's, a, it's a journey, right, Roberta? It's a journey. Absolutely. And, uh, so, as I have always said, mm. one blood sugar does not a lifetime make. No, that's right. So that is my that is my go <laughs> fallback when I my blood sugar happens to be high, and it's sort of like you scratch your head and you go, "Wait a minute! I did everything like I was supposed to, and everything that worked in the past, and now all of a sudden, it doesn't work." And then I just go, "Well, I throw up my hands and go, well." What can we learn from this and, yep. and try to go on and try to learn something from everything that feels like a mistake. Yeah. Cause that's the only way to learn. Diabetes is yeah. definitely unforgiving, right? So, Roberta, yes. yeah, so. It's a so if you want me to, Roberta, I can give a little announcements about some of the things. Um, Please. Michael, you have any final comments before no, we. Thank you so much. It's been we're a delight to have you here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I would, I salute Roberta's idea to have you come back and, um, I think you basically just wetted our whistle tonight, Michael, and we're uh, very deeply grateful for your insights. And I certainly am walking away with some definite information that's going to help me do a better job living with the diabetes Good. vision loss. So, Thank you. so just as far as um, information um, that for people that are here, uh, you can learn more about our organization by visiting uh, www.acbda.org. You can also join the affiliate. Uh, there's a membership link on there, and you can just uh, fill out the form and pay your dues. Um, our listserv, which, as we mentioned earlier, gets a lot of traffic, and we're glad about that. You can join that by sending a blank email to acb-diabetics at acblist.org. Um, you'll be subscribed to our list, and you'll have access to all of our members and friends who have just an absolutely incredible resource of information and knowledge out there about living well with diabetes and vision loss. Um, any questions, you can send an email to our general email box, which is acbda 
O-R-G at gmail.com. Becky will make sure I get that right. So, uh, yeah, A-C-B-D-A-O-R-G at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And, um, again, we thank everybody for being here tonight. And, Roberta, great job. Michael, thank you so much. And um, everybody, I wish you a great evening.